You are listening to Faith at Work. Now to our host, Carl Grant. Welcome to Faith at Work. I'm Carl Grant, and today's podcast will feature the 2008 High Tech Prayer Breakfast in the DC metro area where Jonathan Crane was the speaker. I just want you to know they never would have found out if American Express hadn't sued us. Um, <laughs> it's another story. You know, it, it's obvious that uh, the economic crisis is having an impact. I, I asked someone who was sitting next to me for his watch. You can hardly see this little thing that he must have paid 25 cents for, but I'm going to somehow or other keep an eye on time um, so that we do another thing that we always say. We want to make sure that you have a chance for fellowship and a chance to have some food together, but we also get you out on time to get to your next place that you're going this morning. I also was entertained by the Henny Youngman of Chaplains um, here this morning. <laughs> I want you to know, Jerry, that um, I grew up a Giants fan, and then I got religion. I'm, I'm a Patriots fan now. <laughs> oh, that went well. <laughs> what a mess. Now, I'm not talking about the Redskins' offensive strategy. Um, Okay, it's obvious there may be some Redskins fans in the room, some closet fans perhaps. Um, but of course, I'm not uh, re- talking about the Redskins at all. We've had enough of their uh, sport at their, their expense. I really am talking about the mess in the marketplace right now. And, and if we look at the financial state of affairs that we find ourselves in today, um, it's just nothing short of amazing. I don't believe there's anyone in this room that could have predicted what's happening today. Interestingly enough, right down the street from us, uh, there is a very important meeting. Uh, a number of guys drove in their uh, <laughs> hybrid humility vehicles <laughs> with, with the detachable cup holders that they expect to get uh, filled with cash gifts from the Congress. I I heard something that uh, Jay Leno said, so I'll share that with you before we really get into the serious portion. He said, blue-collar guys who make our cars, they don't get a bailout. But the white-collar guys on Wall Street, they get the bailout. You know what I think we should do? I think they should work together. I think the guys in Detroit should keep making the cars, and the guys on Wall Street should be making the license plates. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, and then Wall Street, if you've visited there recently, um, that that big brass bull that used to be right there is a symbol of Wall Street. It's gone. Uh, Now they have a statue of Sisyphus. Um, if, you know, again, those of you who are too long from sixth grade and mythology, that's the poor slob who for eternity had to push a rock up a hill, never quite getting there to have this rock just tumble down and just to repeat that effort. And so I, I keep thinking of that, 800 up one day, 600 down the next, uh, 700. I mean, this bear market bounce could drive us all mad. You know what it's doing to us? It's ruining our trust. It's ruining our trust in government, in our financial institutions, and even the economic viability of a deeply in debt America. We've been shaken to the core by a global plunge in stability, and the media 
manages to tell us every day when we wake up how depressing, and I will use that word, it is getting. We're piling up massive debts for future generations in order to kickstart today's economic engine to maintain our lifestyle today. One quick investment uh, hint I would give you, invest in Rosetta Stone. Um, you see, we're all going to have to learn to speak Chinese, Hindi, Portuguese, um, Arabic, um, so that we can converse with those that are going to be the new owners of the Plymouth Rock. And once again, we've been betrayed by greed, trumping, and I do use that verb, it's a very interesting verb to use here, we've been betrayed by greed, and it's won out over sound business practices. Fame, fortune, They've all been put on steroids. Even the inventions of Sarbanes-Oxley and other inventions of the lawmakers have been unable to really put greed back into the box. And don't be so smug. It's not the other guys that have caused this. We too have been a part of this. We all have. As we've looked at uh, our homes, as they lost their relevance to value, we used them as personal piggy banks. We encouraged our investment brokers to really run that risk a little bit higher. We all have complicity in where we are today. Irrational exuberance abounds. There's a gentleman, John Ortberg, who's the pastor of the Menlo Park Church in California, wrote a book just recently, It All Goes Back in the Box. And here's what he says. He says, many Americans have come to believe that their ability to experience happiness is directly associated with the contents of this little container. Mine's a lot littler recently, um, but that's where our focus has been. And what he wants to say is that contentment does not come when we acquire enough, because it's never enough. More is always required. Contentment must be a product of the way we think. It's a way of having a spiritual well-being dictated by something far more, something far more dependable than how much cash is in our bank account. Folks, it's time for a rethink as a country and as individuals. Something is sorely missing in our society, in our companies, and in our souls. I believe we need God. We have gotten ourselves into this mess all on our own. We have pushed God out of our classrooms, our courtrooms, our companies. And today there's even a very active effort to take in God we trust off our money. My sense is we need to call in a higher authority than Hank Paulson. God promises in the Bible, the book of his word, in Psalm, 15, in Psalm 50, verse 15, he says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. These are tough times that we are facing. And we should not be planning to fight this personal or national economic battle without a plan, without reinforcements, without good armor, or an assurance of victory. That sounds familiar. You know, we've been kind of watching that movie of late, and I'm sorry for the political commentary, but it seemed apropos. Further in Psalm 60, verses 11 and 12, King David is pleading for God's intervention. He says, give us help from trouble, and here's the part that I focus on. For the help of man is useless, or sometimes translated worthless. 
through God, we will do valiantly. Now, I can already see some of your eyes starting to roll. Could be the time of the morning. I'm guessing it's not the speaker. <laughs> and I also can hear those little ear flaps starting to descend as we start to talk about God. But I want you to know, I wouldn't make this suggestion this morning unless I've seen it work so effectively, not too long ago, by the way, and not too far from where we're sitting today. Irrational exuberance, the collapsing of financial markets, and the punishing consequences are not new. Greed broke out of its harness and wreaked havoc just six short years ago, just down the road in Ashburn, by the way of Clinton, Mississippi. It was 2002 when Worldcon, as it was uh, not too affectionately renamed, managed to destroy $180 billion of shareholder wealth. A dubious record held until recently. Whew, finally, somebody beat us, um, and Lehman took us out at $630 billion. $50 billion of imaginary goodwill was just written right off the books. And there was $11 billion of fraud, misreported revenue. And 55,000 people lost their jobs. Worldcon was called a uh, criminal enterprise by the chief counsel of Verizon. Racketeering charges were leveled against Worldcon by AT&T. We were the Al Capones of telecom. The employees were left to watch the key officers of the company do the perp walk on the nightly news. But WOCOM, like many other internet and telecom companies and businesses, were valued in the billions, but were actually worth pennies. Do you remember back uh, at the end of the internet bubble, a company called Akamai? Akamai did about $100 million at the time. It was valued at a value much greater than General Motors. Can you imagine that? Of course, Akamai's fallen on some hard times, done much better recently. I think it's still worth more than General Motors, but I think that's the tallest pygmy syndrome. Enron, Tyco, Adelphia, et cetera, et cetera. They were all part of this era not too long ago. Business accounting handcuffs called Sarbanes-Oxley, or SOX for short, were limited, were invented to prevent these kinds of excesses. Remember that? We invested a lot of money in legislating corporate morality. But these efforts were just as successful as the, the in Congress. You know, in 1958, they published 10, 10 principles of ethics to run the Congress. They've since amended them a lot. And I think in Congress, it's worked about as effectively as Sarbanes-Oxley has worked in the business community. So the question is, how did I get involved with a company like WorldCom? Well, you see, as a Christian, I believe we all have a purpose. We're individually designed and we're directed by God to various places along the way of our lives. He makes divine appointments for us to serve his purpose and to grow us in wisdom and character. Given our rebellious nature and desire to control our own destiny, sometimes we don't show up. Or like Jonah, and I would guess that you're all familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale, 
We make every effort to avoid God's assignment. Now, as you may remember, Jonah was instructed by God to go bring a message to some really evil folks who hung out in Nineveh. Now, Jonah and his friends didn't like those folks in Nineveh much uh, because they'd killed a lot of their friends and tortured their friends and so forth, so they weren't very fond of those folks. And God said, listen, I want you to go there. And Jonah decided, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth, then Spain. No, no. <clears throat> no offense to any of you Spaniards. I like Sergio and, and the wiggle. Um, but he was then running away from God and went all the way to the end of the earth to avoid doing what God had asked him. You see, God had become very much aware of this wickedness of Nineveh. It had come before him and he wanted it addressed. So the message was a command to repent for all the wrongdoings. So Jonah heads off to Spain, but God prevails. And if you remember the story, Jonah is delivered to Nineveh in a whale transportation system spit up on the beach. Read the story sometime. It's a little messy. Now, as for me, I did absolutely everything I could to avoid going to WorldCom. Mr. Ebers would call me repeatedly and ask me if I would come. I said no. Another gentleman, Mr. Beaumont, would ask me, well, why don't you come down and talk to me? We really want you to come. Mr. Ebers wants you here. I said no. I looked at 20 other companies. 20 other opportunities. Do you know how many of those opportunities panned out? It's a slow group. It's a very slow group. Okay? Zero would be good. It works with the story, you know? Five wouldn't have been so impactful. Thank you for your help. None. Absolutely none worked out. And here came that call again from Mr. Ebers. We really want you to come here. And so I relented. And you know, it's funny, I had written a letter telling him there was absolutely no way I could work for either one of them. I put that in writing. It's one of those infamous emails you really wish you'd taken back. <laughs> and of course, I wound up working for them. They really liked me a lot when I showed up. Now, I began to believe, like Nineveh, American business, in all its corruptness, was coming up before God's eyes. And I was being sent to be a Christian corporate custodian. Now, I do firmly believe that we cannot prosper or even survive as a nation without the proper moral and ethical leadership in our workplace or in any environment, our homes, government. Integrity has to be restored through conduct, through character, through conversation, through leadership, not just through slogans or legislation or watchdogs. And so off I went to Nineveh, actually Clinton, Mississippi, to be exact, by plane, I might add. Um, and what I was stunned by, absolutely stunned by, was the depth of corruption and the efforts made by many to cover up cheating, broken systems, lack of accountability. By April, Bernie Ebers was fired by the board. By June 26th, the CFO admitted to accounting creativity. And 30 days later, we were in the biggest bankruptcy ever in the United States and the biggest fraud, $11 billion. It was an interesting time for me. My friend, Mr. Beaumont, conspired to fire me um, with a command showdown that he called for Sunday morning. He, knowing full well I would refuse to attend, um, 
I think he concocted the idea while he was watching Chariots of Fire. That was the only, <laughs> only way I could think, what were you thinking? Um, but I knew he was slightly irked with me because I had just recently canceled all of the business events that were being held at his personal ranch, and I know that that didn't make him very happy. Um, but anyhow, it didn't take very long for the board, the CEO of the company then, the creditor committee, et cetera, to reinstate me, and I got a license to be the new sheriff in town. And Mr. Beaumont hastily departed to his ranch. Now, this was a very stressful time for me. That's why I want to share it with you, because in these times, I turned to prayer for guidance and the Bible for wisdom. I just wanted to show you one of my props. I, I didn't wear it out just for the event today. This is the Bible that I actually took with me uh, to, um, to my time in WorldCom. And as you can see, it got really dog-eared. Um, part of the reason is I'm so cheap, I was unwilling to buy a hardcover. Um, <laughs> Props sometimes work. Zero's a lot better, though. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the help, Bob. But anyhow, I, I turned to prayer and for my guidance and the Bible for wisdom. It, and it turns out that the king to be, David, in his personal conflicts with the then king, Saul, had encountered similar challenges that I saw. And so he set down his wisdom in Psalm 37. He said this, he said, Do not fret because of evildoers. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him. I could be supremely confident, remembering who sent me into this battle. I could maintain my optimism and confidence. All problems can be resolved, never whining, always winning. I could be confident because in verse 23 it says, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. And though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And then here's the thing that just gave me great hope. It said that lastly, God will make your righteousness, if you carry it into companies like WorldCom, he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And I thought about that as we turned over the rocks at WorldCom. And like those little armadillo bugs that scurry out as the light hits them, we saw a lot of people running from that company. The wrongdoers ran for cover. We fired 1,100 salespeople, VPs, senior VPs, and directors. We replaced nearly the entire financial management team. We hired a great new CEO. Michael Capellas, who brought the motto, do the right thing because it is the right thing to do. We trained 50,000 people in ethics. Not one large customer was lost to us as we focused on those that had given us the business and the trust. And by July 2004, we relisted MCIP on the NASDAQ, financial integrity intact. We had a great team of people who were committed to restore MCI to greatness. And in 2006, we sold that refurbished asset to Verizon, the very company that accused us of being a criminal enterprise. You see, when we see what God wants to do, nothing is impossible. I have a, a slogan that we used in, in a, a church in Atlanta. It said, attempt something so great for God it is doomed to failure unless God be in it. And you know what? 
That experience gives me hope for this situation today. Let's infiltrate the financial services companies and other challenged corporations with leaders who are committed to integrity throughout all business operations. You cannot tell me someone didn't question the toxic nature of those loans. Where were the defenders of doing the right thing? Now, one last note on this piece of history that I would share with you is that in the last job I had, I was called the chief strategy officer. That was my role at, at MCI. And my primary focus was assisting us in building partnerships with companies that could help us restore our credibility. For, for me, personally, the most strategic partnership I've had, other than that of my wife, Susan, for the last 39 years, is with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with whom I could not have endured these kinds of working conditions. And my personal verse that I've carried with me reflects this relationship. For those of you who are readers, it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Our relationship has been long-lasting. It's been tested often. It's been hardened by trials and tribulations. Not necessarily an easy road, but his constant encouragement, love and protection pulls me through every time. It was formed at the age of 12 when I turned to God asking him to help me upon the death of my father. He took my best friend in the world when I was 12 years old. I desperately needed a stand-in role model and God and his son, Jesus Christ, have done that, and I've never been disappointed. As with any partnership, there are benefits and expectation. I have to say, being on God's side in any battle raises the likelihood of success. I've been forgiven for all my wrongdoings, my sins, by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and I've been granted eternal life with God in heaven upon my death. Now the expectations of my partner, there, there are some. I must live a life that honors God. It's not a secret as to what we're to do. The expectations of us aren't a secret. They're again in the book that I held up earlier. They're well spelled out. I have an example in a, in a prophet who lived many, many years ago. His name was Micah. He said, let me, let me detail for you a little bit about what God would require you of you if you, in fact, came to this partnership. He says that what I want you to do is I want you to focus on doing justice, a consistent, unwavering decision to do what is right. Two, I want you to love kindness, mercy, the kind of unrelenting kindness that could even be extended to our enemies. And we should be abundant givers of ourself in whatever possessions we hold. And I want you to walk humbly with your God. You see, there's a constant battle inside of me, and I'm guessing in you as well, between the self-interest and what God would have us do. And we deal with that every day. Imagine for the moment if Wall Street was filled with this kind of love and kindness 
and an ability to walk humbly with God. Now, the benefits of such a relationship with Jesus Christ in this true partnership, well, I have to say to you, isn't eternal life and a relationship with the creator of the universe enough? You could say yes now. That would be helpful. (laughs) No. There's too many of you been watching Oprah and all those giveaway shows that she has. We want more. See, we want more than just eternal life and an intimate relationship with the person that created all of this. No, I want more. Okay, I'll give you more. There's a great book just written by Chuck Swindoll, and it talks about a life well lived. And in it, he attempts to list six more, if the first two weren't enough, six more things that would be a benefit to you if you would form this partnership with Jesus Christ. The first is a sustained cultivation of exemplary character. Now, you know, I didn't write that. There's way too many of you laughing and nodding your heads. That's... That's cruel. Um, If you strive to act justly, if you love mercy and walk humbly every day, your character muscles will grow. People will be drawn to you and want to know how to get what you have. In a recent American management study, 1,500 managers were asked, what are the values and personal traits you look for? and admire in your supervisors? Number one answer, far and away, integrity, followed very closely by trustworthy. The second thing about this life well lived benefit you could have is a continued relief of a clear conscience. You get to sleep well. Although I didn't sleep all that well last night, um, getting ready for, for today. People kept me out late last night, all those parties. I'm just kidding. Um, You get to sleep well. There are no inner conflicts, and the ones that you do encounter are dealt with. There's a partner in this process, and he helps you solve those problems that are tearing you up inside. There's an absolute peace found in the belief in an absolute system of right and wrong. Gray is not a color in God's crayon box. The personal delight of intimacy with the Almighty. I'm not going to put any more color on that. The personal delight of intimacy with the Almighty. The fourth, the high privilege of being a mentor. I've been privileged by this. It's an awesome opportunity to become a trusted counselor a personal coach, a guide, being authentic, reliable, consistent, a chance to play a significant role in shaping another's life. Your son, your daughter, a friend, a business associate. Mentors are typically chosen based upon observation of character and conduct. The fifth is the crowning reward of finishing well. For someone as old as I am, that's appealing. A little closer to that time than some of you young faces here today. But I don't care where you are standing today. The remaining years, hours, or in some cases minutes, spent committed to doing what your creator would ask of us to do changes everything. 
And lastly, a priceless, lingering legacy for those we love. Live well now, and you will continue to live well forever in the memory of the people that you value. Patrick Morley had a quote. He said, the survey of older businessmen's regrets. That's his uh, little uh, study he did. Older businessmen's regrets. What do you think the top of their list was? I was so busy trying to improve my family's standard of living that before I knew it, my kids were gone. And I never got to know them. And they are too busy for me now. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Psalms 112.2 says, His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Maybe you'll even be privileged to receive an email from your son or daughter like the one my wife and I recently received from my youngest son. Now, I share this with you not to brag, but to share it with you with the idea of possibilities. What would it be like getting a note from your son like this? There were a lot more to it in the beginning, but I'll take it in the middle. It says, in the host of ways that you provide us, whether financially or emotionally, I think the best thing you could have given to Nicole, his wife, and me, is the example of your unwavering devotion to Christ and to each other. In 39 years, through the rough and the calm, you have refused to succumb to the besetting problems and issues that tear families apart and in turn refuse to forfeit your covenant before God in marriage. And as a relatively new husband, green to the wear and tear years that can dissolve a union, I commend you. Having stable parents who value devotion to Christ is not something that a lot of children can boast of. I'm eternally grateful for all that you have given me, instilled in me, and continue to model for me. Thank you for your unassailable, unwavering support for me these 27 years. I am truly blessed and gracious to God for granting me you as my parents. How'd you like to get that letter? That alone would motivate me. So, my question to you this morning as we wrap up, what's keeping you from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? The times are challenging enough. The situations that we find ourselves should be motivating us. When probably the most suffocatingly difficult times we've witnessed in a while, wouldn't this be a good time to re redirect your priorities? your values, and direction of your life. You can ask Jesus Christ into your life today, right here as you sit, by admitting that you need him as your personal savior, asking for forgiveness for all that you have done that has grieved God's heart. You can commit to be obedient to God's will for you. And if you do this sincerely, you have started on an awesome journey as a new Christian. And there are many men and women in this room this morning who have surrendered their lives to Christ already. They would dearly love to share their life experiences with you. 
as to how Christ has made all the difference in their lives and to help you begin your journey. Do you desire to have a life well lived? Do you desire to leave a long-lasting legacy to your children, to your spouse, to your friends, to all that know you? You could be used mightily to slay dragons like Worldcom. Or you could be assisting a poor family through these difficult times. It's been said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this edition of Faith at Work. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm Carl Grant. Please follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Faith at Work Radio. And for more information on the High Tech Prayer Breakfast, please visit www.hightechprayerbreakfast.org. You have been listening to Faith at Work with Carl Grant. 